Well, good morning. My name is Wes. I'm one of the pastors here. Do you just love interruptions? I just love interruptions. In fact, if I could have a day where I was interrupted every 30 seconds, that would be the best. That would be awesome. I would feel like I've got so many things done that day. One time, me no question. If, uh, now, instead, what I'd really, really like is, somebody caught that, what I really like is if I could just set out my plan, stick to my plan, and if I can just do that, because if I don't get that, it just irritates me if I just can't do my plan. I just, it just bugs me. But sometimes there are interruptions that are good. Sometimes there are interruptions that are necessary, that build into our lives. And we miss out on potential blessings if we don't allow those interruptions to take place. So today we're going to look not at 1 Thessalonians. Uh, some of you have been following along with our 1 Thessalonians all the way through right now. Um, we're actually going to take a break. We're going to go into Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10. And this is the story of Zacchaeus. And what's important about this uh, story is I want us to look at the, this thing. How although all of us are busy, opportunities to share Jesus are all around us. And the solution is that could be that we need to be more generous and hospitable with our time that God has given us. So if you can turn on your Bibles uh, in your app, or if you would turn your Bible here, or if you want to wa watch the screen, um, we're going to read along. I'm going to start by reading Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10. So please follow along with us. So Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10 says this. Jesus entered Jer Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, or said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in this passage, Jesus, I don't know if you caught that, but he was on his way through Jericho. Now you think about Jericho, and some of you know the story about Jer Joshua and the Israelites, they, um, Joshua and the Israelites were supposed to take the land. They go into Jericho. They march around it seven times, blow trumpets, and all of a sudden the walls fell down. Yes, that's the same city. So this same city, Jesus was going through, and he had an agenda. He was going somewhere. He was on his way somewhere, and yet he was interrupted. So he knows what it's like to be interrupted. Often we are on our way somewhere, aren't we? Have you noticed how important our agenda is to us? 
We take it so seriously. We just, we got to plow through. We got to do what we think is right. We got to do what we think is the right thing to do, what we've planned out to do. We're reluctant to change. We're reluctant to, to um, change our plans to something else, especially if it doesn't make logical sense to us. It doesn't fit in. We are always busy. We are always on our way to do something. In fact, I don't know about you, but often it's in those crazy spiritual times when I think, oh man, there's this, this great opportunity, but I just got to do this. I just can't get to it. I just don't want to do it. But at the same time, I'm wrestling inside of myself and I wonder, is there something I need to do? Is there something I need to say? The problem if we, is if we live our lives not really thinking about anything else, just our own agenda. We don't think about the lost, those who don't know Jesus. We don't feel an urgency. We don't see that there's any urgency. But Jesus, he stopped his agenda to reach the lost. So my, my mind went to something when I was reading this passage and I was, I was thinking about, okay, so if, if he wasn't going to stay in Jericho, what was Jesus going to do? What was he going to do? Why wasn't his plan to stay in Jericho? Why bother mentioning Jericho? What is so important for Jesus? Well, if you read through the surrounding passage uh, and you see all the stories and how things were, were playing out, you will learn this. That Jesus was on his way to go and die. Jesus was going on his way to go and die on a Roman cross. Let that sink in. He adjusted his agenda to go and die for humanity, for you and for me. To die on a Roman cross for the sins of this world, he stopped to help Zacchaeus. To go to his house. So why did Jesus stop? Why did he stop? Why didn't he just plow on? Because his purpose dictated his agenda. That's why. Now, not all of us have these success stories of, of things that happen where you've put a pause on your itinerary to go and do something that you believe God has got wanted you to do. But I do have one, so I will share this with you. A few years ago, I was going to go vacuum out my car, my van. You know, it's, you know what it's like if you're a family and you're a large family, got four kids and you've got stuff everywhere and you think, man, I got to clean this thing. Just one of these days, I got to get in there and I just got to clean it. And so I went down to the vacuum place, you know, the one down by uh, Save On Foods and there's a fried chicken place across the highway and the Fraser Highway. And I went down there, I drove up and as I drove up, I, I, I was about to put money in and I realized it, it was like two bucks or something for two minutes or something ridiculous. I think that's a lot of money for vacuuming. And of course, there's enough Scottish, Scottish blood in me to really get the most out of my money. So I was really excited. It's a challenge now, right? So I go up to the kiosk, I put my money in, and the time is ticking. So as I'm doing the one side of my van, I'm, I'm vacuuming it all out. On the far side to this side of me, I look over, and I see this man. He's a homeless man, or at least appeared to be, and he's got a cart, and it's full of stuff. Of course, I'm thinking about my two minutes, <laughs> So I, didn't, I just was not thinking about that. I was just going ahead and doing what I needed to do. So I was vacuuming my, vacuuming my van. 
I was getting the whole, all that. I was doing really well. I was getting things done so fast. And then I would turn to go around, pull the vacuum over the top of my car to do the other side. And then I noticed the guy again. And at this time, it, it stuck with me a little bit more. And I looked over, and here he was. He pulled his cart up to a, a big dumpster, and he's put a, a, a wood pallet up against it, and he's crawled up. And as much as it was tragic as it was comical, his feet were sticking up out of it, and he was digging away in there. Again, tragic but comical, because I'm trying to figure out what is going on. And it was in that moment I realized that God was putting something in my heart that I needed to do something. I'm like, forego my money. <laughs> Okay, I have to do this. I have to do something. And the only thing I could think of was maybe he needs food because that's what he was doing in the dumpster. So I let the loud machine just take its course and end its, its cycle. And I walked over to the dumpster and I knocked on it. Gong, gong, gong. Just to get his attention. And, and, and uh, as fast as I've ever seen anybody pop, turn all the way around and pop up, I've never seen anybody do that so fast. The guy was scared. And, I, and I, I'm sure the look on his face was either A, that I was the owner of the vacuum place and he was thinking that he was in trouble, or B, I was a cop and he was in trouble in the law somehow, but he was so scared. And I remember I, I was standing there and uh, I, I just said, hey, uh, my name is Wes and I just wanted to ask you, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what is God doing? So I said, God, uh, guy, do you, do, you need, do you need food? And he said... Yeah, yeah, I, I could use some food. So I said, all right. So I'm like, there's a fried chicken place across the street. Can I buy you something? He said, sure, sure, that'd be great. So here I am, I'm walking along. And of course, then it forces the question, so what do, you, what do I do for a living? I should probably tell him that. So I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor at a church. And it's Southridge Church. It's up the hill quite far from here. But um, you're welcome to come anytime. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. And he said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I'm thinking, okay, so it's not that God wants me, I'm checking this off, it's not because God wants me to tell him about Jesus, he already knows Jesus. Um, okay, he wants food, that's good, but there's something still in, in me that I'm not sure about. So we walked over to the chicken place, I bought him a meal, we sat down, and it was in that moment that I realized that I have no clue what God is doing. That it's all God that's doing it all along, and he's using me for this. What he was using me for was not even for food. Food was important for him, the guy was hungry. That was a need, and that was a good need he needed. But I realized in that moment that he needed a community. He needed a friend. And it, if it wasn't for me putting a pause on my agenda, stopping what I was doing, letting the vacuum just go, I wouldn't have known that he just needed someone to talk to. So we sat for 20 to 30 minutes just chatting through, talking through life. Um, again, I invited him to church. I had never seen him come through this door. It was a few years ago. And, um, but, you know, sometimes God does that and he just kind of interrupts what we do. Now, I'm not saying this to say anything good about myself because I really struggled. I did not want to do it. I was not excited about doing it. I didn't want to lose all my money. I didn't have a lot of change with me. Who carries change anyways right now uh, anymore? And I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I just have to do this. Because I struggle with it because often I look at people that are presumably homeless. And I think, okay, if I give them money, they're going to be spending it on alcohol or drugs. Or, or what if they put it towards food, which is what their sign says that they're holding. They say, hungry, need food, God bless. You know those signs. And sometimes they're even in the middle of the road and the sign behind them says, 
Panhandling is unsafe and illegal, and yet they're there because they're so desperate to just try to do something. And so many times I've looked at that and turned my eyes and not done anything. And maybe you felt the same, not knowing what to do. You know, at first glance, sometimes people feel, they look like they don't look like they're worth stopping for. They don't look like they're worth spending your time on. Zacchaeus would have been seen as not worth it. But with a little bit of time that Jesus gave to him, he began to reveal his biggest need through conversation and care, which was salvation. It makes me think about it. I was in my devotions this week talking, looking through Hebrews chapter 13. And one of the verses in there caught me as I was preparing for this message that it says that if you are showing hospitality to strangers, some of you don't realize this, but you're actually showing hospitality to angels. To this day, I still wonder if this guy was an angel dressed up as a homeless man. I still don't, I don't know the question about whether or not that was true or not, but it makes me wonder, what is it about that, that moment and that time with him? You see, Jesus is very intentional about changing his plan. He just was going to go and die for humanity, he stopped and decided to, to, to care for Zacchaeus. And you notice that in the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus doesn't ask, ask him to come over. He doesn't say, all right, Jesus, can you come over to my house? He doesn't feel like he has that opportunity. He's, he's, he's a tax collector. He doesn't feel like he can. But Jesus says, I must go to your house upon first visit. Now picture it. If Jesus, for Jesus to say to Zacchaeus, he's coming over, is like one of us here to say, I'm going to go over to this drug dealer's house. I must stay at your house, better yet. Can you imagine that? What if your friends saw you doing that? Oh, that's interesting. What if your family saw, saw you doing that? Okay, what's this? What if a cop saw you doing this? You'd be like, that's a drug deal going on. <laughs> what? What would be going through your mind? Am I safe? What would people think of me? Regardless of what people may have thought of him, Jesus saw this visit as a part of his divine mission. But I wonder how it would have felt for Zacchaeus. I alluded to it in a second ago. He knew his position was not with respect. He was a chief tax collector. He likely oversaw lots of tax collectors who all did the same thing, which was, Notoriously being known for taking more than they were supposed to. They were taking more than they were supposed to. They were considered dirty, unworthy. Nobody liked them. And not only that, but Zacchaeus was employed by the Rome, by Rome, by the Roman colony, to oppress his own people. That's how unliked he was. And people knew it. People knew that that's what, that was what he was doing. Yet Jesus didn't care about his popularity. Now, Zacchaeus' response was awesome. He said, I will give back four times the amount. Which, upon research, I realized that this is a profound thing because the Old Testament never said anything about giving four, back, four times the amount. So when he says, I'm giving back four times the amount, he's saying, I'm going to give back the money that I stole plus interest. This is his heart. He says, not I will give, but here now I give. Did you catch that? He says, here now I give. Half of my possessions to the poor. He's willing to give up it all. He shows his heart. 
Now, it's interesting to note on this is that just a few passages earlier, there's this story about the, the rich young ruler who went up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus' response was, give everything you have to the poor and then come and follow me. And that person went away sad because they were wealthy. That just happened just before this passage. Because Jesus stopped, Zacchaeus' heart was shown. If he didn't stop, we wouldn't be blessed with this story. We wouldn't have known we wouldn't have seen Zacchaeus' heart or his transformation. Jesus responds to him with saying, Today salvation has come to this house. Now maybe you felt like Zacchaeus before. Maybe you felt rejected. Maybe you felt that people are against you. Maybe you feel like the whole town could be against you. Maybe you feel like your whole school is against you. But looking at this passage, you see that Zacchaeus is so important to Jesus that he would stop his divine mission to care for him. And Jesus cares for you as well. Whether you know Jesus or not, whether you say, I have a relationship with Jesus or not, Jesus loves you and wants you to live a life fully for him. He's inviting all of us to do that. He invited someone who is an outcast to come and follow him. Someone who doesn't have it all together. Someone who is stealing from other people and says, come and follow me. And maybe you're in that place today and you've never experienced grace like that. You've never experienced it because the grace that, that you may see in this world is nothing compared to the grace that God offers you. So in this story, Jesus declares that he, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost who need grace. This is what his purpose is. But wait, didn't we learn, wasn't his agenda to go through Jericho to somewhere else? He had an agenda, he was going somewhere else, but his purpose adjusted his agenda. And look what happened through it. Zacchaeus, completely transformed. Jesus saw here an opportunity that he wasn't too busy to care for this man, so he adjusted his agenda because his purpose was to bring salvation to people just like Zacchaeus. And he used hospitality of his time. My guess is that he would do this, stop and do the same for you. So Zacchaeus' story is relevant to us today because we often change, don't change our agenda to do something we didn't plan to do. We often have our, our way of doing things and we just go forward and we don't think of things that would be outside of that. Let me ask you this. How important to you is your agenda today? How important have you valued your agenda? And are you willing or will you be willing to surrender it to Jesus? I think there's so many opportunities that we, um, that we have and we just don't see it. It's like we have blinders on and we just don't look for the things that are unseen, right? We see everything that's seen in this world and we think that must be true. But there's other things that are also true that we don't see because we're only finite and we don't see infinitely like God does. And so we think this is all there is. But there is more. And sometimes we, it, it takes an opportunity that just smacks us like a two-by-four over the head to go, listen, here is your opportunity. I know that I'm that dense that I need a two-by-four once in a while. That it's like, hello, there's an opportunity right in front of us. We don't see opportunities possibly because we're too busy. Possibly because we feel 
inadequate. Possibly because we overthink ourselves and we think someone else will do it. It's okay. Someone else will, will feed that person. Someone else will do it. And possibly because we aren't thinking of being generous with our time and not being hospitable. So how do we change it to be more like Jesus in this? Well, salvation is the key to it all. We need to help others be saved by Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. You may have heard this before. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. There's lots to be done, but not many people are wanting to do it. All of us are busy. But opportunities to share Jesus with others are all around us. So the solution must be more, to be more generous with the time God has given us. So why bother sharing Jesus? Why should we bother? Why should we bother sharing Jesus? Matthew 28, 19-20 is the, is the Great Commission. This is one of the last things that Jesus said before ascending to heaven. He says to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, the good news of him to all of creation, to see them to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. This is his command to us. We are to go and make disciples. That's why we are here. That's why you are here. If you are a Jesus follower, that's why you exist, is to make disciples. Not to go and make ourselves a disciple. Did you catch that? The command isn't to say, okay, go and be a disciple. Just go and make yourself a disciple. It's go and make other disciples. I think we get that confused sometimes. It is important to be a disciple. Don't get me wrong. But by going out, we become a greater disciple because we're doing what God has commanded us to do. And the only way to make disciples is to give time to it. That is the only way. This is our mission and vision here at Southridge. You walk through these doors right over there. On the other side of those doors is our mission. Why we exist is to love God and to change the world one life at a time. That is our fuel to making these things happen. Funny enough, it's the one life that makes a difference. It's the one life where I stopped for that guy, happened to eventually be obedient. It's the one life that we have in our life that we know we need to make and help make disciples. And our vision, our current vision, is fitting to be hearing a message like this. It is, Southridge will turn outward and live God's purpose so that, we, that our community will experience God. Sausage will turn away from ourselves, turn away from making a disciple of ourselves and to look to others and to give them an opportunity to become a disciple so that our community will experience God. Because we've experienced God, but we need to make sure other people experience God. That is why we are here. A few weeks ago, Pastor Kirk talked about this. He says, if we, were, if we had no other purpose, if we couldn't do anything else, if God said, okay, you're done your job here, then he could just take us up to heaven now and say, that's it, that we're done. But he hasn't, because there's still work to do. The way to live out the mission and vision is through being available and spending time with people, one life at a time. Creating a mindset where you can imagine just putting a pause on your life. Just pausing it. Stopping. 
halt and to be prayerful aware of opportunities around so that you don't miss many. Because reality is we are going to miss some because we're human. And that's okay. And we're going to kick ourselves and we're going to turn our eyes from the homeless people and we're going to feel it. And that's good that we feel it. Because we have to think, how are we going to respond to this problem? How are we going to respond to the needs of our community? The reality is that those who don't follow Jesus spend eternity away from him. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know what that means. And you know how hard that is. So let me ask you this. In the last year, what name comes to mind of someone you are intentionally making into being a disciple? That is a tough question for me to ask. <laughs> because I know for some of you it's very hard to answer. At times in my life it's been hard to answer. What name comes to mind of someone you are intentionally making into being a disciple? It could be a non-follower of Jesus. Good. It could be a young follower of Jesus, someone new to the faith. Good. It could be a stuck follower of Jesus who's just stuck in what they're doing. Good. But who is that person? If you're thinking of a person, good. Keep right on track. Keep making disciples. But if you can't think of anybody, then it's time to get on it. It is crucial for your walk with Christ to be making other disciples because it's commanded of you if you're a Jesus follower. Consider the lost, those who don't know Jesus, and be generous with your time. We need to be hospitable. Not just our homes, but with our time. That's what Jesus did with his time and in everything we do. So it makes us think about who is around us. I think easily, I think of my neighbors. I think, okay, well, I'm in a, a townhouse complex. There are lots of people around me. Some of them I know, and it's sad to think that even though I love getting to know people, and I love getting to know names, and you know because I've asked you several times, some of you, to keep remembering your names, but I'm trying to help to understand you and help to include you, and I'm trying to do that with my neighbors as well. That I go into my complex and I watch people drive by and walk their dogs and do all these things, and I'm trying, but it's sad to say that I still don't know some of them. There's still people across the street that I don't know. I don't know their name, and I don't know what they do, and I don't know them. And I'm frustrated with that. There's people just a few doors down that I still don't know. It's been months of them moving in, and I still don't know them. But a neighbor isn't just those who are living near us, because some of us are blessed with massive properties where there's not a lot of neighbors. I get it. But who is our neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Well, it's those who are in proximity to us, but also our spouse, our friends, our family, and even our enemies. That is our neighbor. And we should care for our neighbors. Listen, we are designed for community. We are made in the image of God for community. We are designed to look after the interest of others from the very beginning of the human race. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to keep care of it, to keep it. That's what the word means, is to keep it, to keep care of it, to make sure it's well, for, for the, for, to do well, the creation, and to care for others. Cain and Abel come along 
the brothers. Cain could not even keep his brother Abel and did not look out for his interests. He wasn't thinking about Abel's interests. He was thinking only of himself. And in, in do, so doing, he murdered Abel, which is far from keeping him. It's far from looking out for his interests. Provan in his book, Seriously Dangerous Religion, says this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, we are not to put our own interests ahead of those of our neighbor, but to consider them at the same time as and alongside our own. Because we need them to know Jesus more. We need them to know Jesus in the first place. It is our mandate as a human being to help others, to care for others and creation. We have to. And if it is our mandate, it must be our purpose. And if, if it is our purpose, it must dictate our agenda right down to our everyday schedule. Sharing salvation of Jesus with others is critical to being a Jesus follower. It should be at the very forefront of our minds. It should be one of the first things we think about, even though it isn't. Like Jesus did with Zacchaeus, he knew his purpose. Jesus was on his way to die and stopped to help Zacchaeus understand salvation. So how important is your agenda? Maybe you need to surrender it to Jesus today. The purpose of Jesus is to seek and to save the lost. He did it in his everyday work through hospitality of his time. Some of you feel, oh, I'm off the hook. I didn't bring anybody over this week. But it's hospitality of your time. It is a relational discipleship. So I'm going to do something funny with you. I'm going to show you a ridiculous looking schedule could look like. I've created one on Google Calendar. So as you can see, from the time we get up to the time we try to fall asleep, our days can be packed. You see all those boxes? All the way through. So where's the time to be hospitable? When we just have next thing after next thing after next thing. But guess what? We created this for ourselves. We only have ourselves to blame. I'm going to suggest to you to do something today. And I hope you join me in this because I'm going to do it too. To take a look at your schedule, your day-to-day. -day. Some of you, if you're older, you might be having a, a physical day timer that you're you're working through. Some of you that are young adults and hipsters, you may also have physical day timers that you're going through. Or some of you have a Google Calendar like me. Surrender this to Jesus. That's it. Take a look at your schedule. Surrender it. That's all I'm asking. When we surrender to Jesus and have him first in our lives, I'm confident that instead of trying to fit into our schedule, something about Jesus and trying to share our faith, that instead our schedule becomes dictated by our purpose and we do reach our neighbors because that's exactly what we surrendered to. We will find that our schedules become more dictated by our purpose and we feel more fulfilled because our purpose is not to glorify ourselves. Our purpose is not to live a happy life. Our purpose is not to have a certain amount of kids. Our purpose is not to build up a nice house for ourselves. Our purpose isn't to fulfill our being with entertainment. That is not our purpose. That is not why we're here if we're Jesus followers here today. 
Our purpose, if we follow Jesus, is to glorify God. That's what we were created to do. We were created by God, for God, for His glory, for His pleasure. And by doing so, we will feel pleasure because we're fulfilling the very thing that we're made to do. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this, What we would here and now call our happiness is not the end God chiefly has in view. But when we are such as He can love without impediment, we shall in fact be happy. I'm going to call the worship band to come up at this time. Now what should dictate our schedules? What should it be? The ultimate goal should not be happiness. It shouldn't be so that I just feel good about myself. As you see from this quote we, I just said from C.S. Lewis, we need to surrender to Jesus before we can make any changes. And Jesus is the only one that can change this. He is the only one that can help fulfill that calling on your life. The command of God, what we're supposed to do, is to stop and care for others. The ultimate goal should be to live our purpose for God, to turn outward, to live God's purpose as, so our community will experience God, and therefore we will experience God. This is where our happiness should be found. If you want to surrender to Jesus in this area, whether you claim to have a relationship with him or not, I think you can join me in this. I want to lead us in a prayer, and I hope and pray that you join me in this prayer. We're going to surrender. If you feel comfortable with this, I'm going to ask you to, and invite you to hold out your hands. This is not something that we do very often. But physically to just hold out your hands like this and to offer up your schedule and offer up your life's lives to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to stand this time. And only do it if you really want to do this for Jesus. No one's going to criticize you. No one's going to judge you if you don't raise your hands. In fact, if you don't want to raise your hands, I'm asking you not to. But if you want to surrender to Jesus and to offer this or try it, then I'm going to invite you to join me in this prayer. And I'm going to pray this over you as me, as a, as a pastor here over Southridge. And I know that God is going to do something great through this. So if you bow with me and surrender your hearts and your lives to him, let's pray. God, we surrender to you with our whole mind, soul, body, and strength. It is all yours. We ask that you would take our priorities, our schedules, and claim them as your own. Remove anything that keeps us from your priority for us. Infuse in us a desire to go about our days fully aware that you very well may interrupt us to do your will. May we love those around us so much that we are, we are living the gospel, being available and useful to you and your purpose and your heavenly kingdom here on earth. We desire to be a people. I desire to be a person that is wholly devoted to you. Change this world, God, one life at a time. Please use us. Change our church, for we are not satisfied with where we are at. We want to be more, likely, more like you, and it is only you that can do that for us. We have no power in ourselves. We need you and ask you to change us. May your glory increase and our glory decrease. 
May your kingdom grow and more people would know of the love that you have for them and that the message of your love will be heard from our lips. As we go about our days, we commit these things to you and it is in through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.